Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to uh, a Zien FS Club ESOP Center webinar, um, uh, which today is on international share schemes, exporting the vision. Uh, my name is Ian Harris. Uh, I'm managing director of the, the Zien Group, um, and I'm going to be chairing uh, the webinar uh, today. Um, uh, we are here in part, uh, at least, um, through the uh, uh, generosity and forbearance of um, uh, the ESOP Centre members and the FS Club sponsors. Um, and in front of you right now is um, the list of ESOP Centre members. Uh, we're grateful to um, all members for their uh, sponsorship of, of this programme and much else that is done by the ESOP Centre. Um, and the FS Club um, is a, a broader grouping of uh, organizations um, and, and some individuals who are interested in finance, technology um, and innovation uh, in this space. And this is a list of um, our various uh, sponsors and contributors uh, to the FS Club. And without um, the generosity of ESOP Centre and FS Club members and sponsors, we wouldn't be able to run um, a, a program of this kind. Uh, I'm going to speak, I hope, for less than five minutes. Um, and what you're really here for is a keynote presentation by David Craddock, uh, who will speak for 20 or maybe 25 minutes, giving us at least, uh, we have 15 minutes uh, for questions and answers. Um, in the matter of questions and answers, um, you will uh, notice that there is a questions panel um, uh, in your GoToWebinar uh, box. Um, that is the place uh, for you to leave your, your questions. Please don't uh, try to uh, email or text uh, me or David with your questions. Uh, delighted though we are uh, always to hear from people, uh, we, we switch all of those things off uh, and only find those uh, after the webinar. So questions for the webinar please in uh, that panel and we do want your, um, your questions and thoughts and comments um, uh, for discussion. Many people when we ask for feedback on these things um, say they find the question and answer session uh, to be one of the most valuable parts uh, of, of, of these sessions and, and, and David is a very willing um, and interesting responder to, uh, to, to, to questions when he does uh, webinars with us. Uh, so uh, today's speaker is David Craddock, he's the founder and director of David Craddock uh, Consultancy uh, Services. Um, he's an independent consultant who has been specialising um, in employee share ownership and reward management uh, for um, as long as uh, anyone can remember, uh, possibly he can remember, uh, a, a little bit longer than that um, and he is really ideally placed to, uh, uh, to talk about the subject for us today. He is the author of the Tolly's Guide to Employee uh, Share Schemes um, and uh, as you'll find out today um, has uh, been uh, the, the brains behind um, a great many international uh, share schemes which is what we're here to talk about today. Um, so here are the contact uh, details uh, for David um, and I will hand you over to David uh, now and let uh, uh, David explain everything that you want to know about international uh, share schemes but we're afraid to ask except you won't be afraid to ask because you will ask questions. David over to you. Well thank you Ian, very pleased to be with you again today and thank you to the ESOP Centre and to the Financial Services Club for their sponsorship. Um, those of you who attended my webinars previously know that I use the slides to provide copious notes. Um, the reason is I want to give you value um, I won't be able to touch on every point which is mentioned in the slides, uh, but what I will do, of course, is pick out the salient features so that you can understand the themes 
and the principles and the benefits to companies and indeed to governments of introducing an employee share scheme and in this case an international employee share scheme so first of all let's look at this slide which is entitled the challenge of the international employee share scheme so a little word about the objective what we're seeking to achieve through the introduction the implementation of a global employee share scheme is global goal congruence we're seeking to establish a unity around the goals of the company the corporate objectives of the business right across the business right across all the employee workforces that exist all over the world so essentially what we what we're seeking to do is to establish that umbilical cord between the the incentive which is common to all the employees through the employee share scheme and sometimes indeed through a profit sharing scheme which might be cash orientated trying to establish that umbilical cord between the incentive and the objectives now absolutely key to achieving this is what i call the fusion of company culture and country culture so, so we have um, features which we might identify as the features of the company culture and that will be uh, a branding type arrangement or a branding type implication that the company has about itself that's the company culture so we're seeking to establish a compatibility between the company culture and indeed the country culture of the individual overseas subsidiary company countries in which the company operates and and in doing this we need to respect the national identity of the individual countries overseas so that's the challenge really to establish a, a, a fusion between the common company culture across all countries and the fact that every individual country has an individual country culture yes so the culture of of canada is very different from the culture of let's say um saudi arabia or romania or or germany so what we're seeking to establish is is a way in which we can reconcile and indeed fuse together that very powerful common company culture the company internal branding if you like and the individual identity cultures of of all the different countries where the company operates how do we do that you might say well this uh, this um, this webinar is intended to reveal just how thank you for the next slide ian thank you so the the emergence of the international employee share scheme well the, the international share scheme uh, emerged out of the development of of um, of, of local uh, uk employee share schemes in the 1980s Pri primarily out of the uk even though the um the modern day initiative for employee share schemes comes out of uh, a 1956 initiative in the us by by louis kelso the, the famed uh, lawyer come economist the international share scheme really developed as as a uk initiative coming out of the success of employee share schemes in the uk during the early 1980s the americans then caught on and uh, and followed in tune with the type of initiative that the british uh, resident uh, holding companies were introducing throughout the world and these five bullets uh, just summarize really in a little bit more detail what we're seeking to to achieve through the uh, the goal congruence objective so the need is to establish a corporate unity within a worldwide group okay and and we do this through introducing a unifying employee incentivization so, so can you can you see that principle that's absolutely key to understanding the international employee share scheme what we're doing is we're seeking to establish a corporate unity around 
around the totem of the employee incentive, which in turn is linked to the totem of the developing share value. So, so we're seeking to establish a corporate unity that the basis of that unity is a unifying employee incentive. Through that, we're seeking to excite the entrepreneurial instinct in the, the employees through, um, through involvement in the scheme arrangement within the overseas countries. And we're seeking to do this across, across many different national and ethnic cultures. That again is, is this fusion between company culture and individual overseas um, company culture, country culture. And then the, the totem is the, is the commitment to the, to the common goal and the development of the value, as everyone is committed to that common goal, expresses itself in the developing share value of the company. Now, the reinforcement of this trend is what I just want to say a, a word about next. I guess really it, it is fair to say that the um, development of globalization around the world, of, of, of global business generally, has reinforced the, the concept of the global employee share scheme. Although it's not dependent upon globalization. Indeed, when, when I started to um, work with companies to introduce, to develop and to introduce um, employee share schemes, we're talking about the late 1980s and the early 1990s. Yes, globalization was a concept at that time, but by no means with the profile that it has today. It really was, it really was a practical matter that companies wanted to extend their UK and their US employee share schemes into all the countries in which they operated, recognizing the commonsensical belief that we needed to, uh, to develop a common unity around a common goal based upon uh, a common incentive. Okay, let's go to the, to the next slide. So we've got six case studies here, which I'll breeze through very, very quickly. All, all case studies uh, that I ever share are based upon my own involvement in companies over the the last 40 years. So let's have a look at case study number one. Case study number one is a very, very recent um, example uh, that we currently have operative in our business. It's a UK-based high-tech service provider company. And, and, and what, I've sought, what I've sought to do with each of these case study examples is to identify um, initially the, the, the driver for the development of the company into the overseas parts of the world, quite apart from the employee share scheme. Why? Why do companies um, seek to um, establish overseas subsidiaries? And then, and then, of course, it's a natural corollary to say that uh, having established the businesses in the different parts of the world, they want to incentivize the employees who run those businesses in the different parts of the world, all the, all the employees of the overseas companies. So let's have a look at case study number one, high-tech uh, high service provider company. So it, it, it's to, to secure... Uh, a, a comparative advantage, as you reverse in economics, will know of uh, the classical economist David Ricardo established the principle of comparative advantage. And the comparative advantage here is, of course, in um, bringing specialist skills into the operation of the company by employing people in overseas countries. So it, it's specialist skills which, which happen to be in the indigenous population of those overseas countries. So, so in that case study number one, that the, the, the driver for the development of the business into overseas parts and therefore uh, in tandem, the driver for the introduction of the international share scheme into those parts, it's employee skills driven. Case study number two, a UK based advertising company. This is the largest international share scheme I have ever introduced. It was in the uh, mid 90s, 19, late 90s actually, 1998 to 2000. 
and it was across 45 countries, uh, the, the, the Americas, North and South and Central, um, Europe, um, Africa, uh, the Far East, um, uh, th 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 down, down in Australia and New Zealand as well. And, and the, the reason why uh, the, the company had expanded into these parts was to create a coordination for international clients on the basis that, so let, let's say, for example, uh, the, the company had as a major client um, one of the one of the, the, the massive car manufacturers um, that uh, that exists in in our world, uh, but they marketed across many many different country, countries. So the idea uh, of developing uh, advertising agencies in all these countries was to um, coordinate the the advertising and indeed marketing work, uh, but primarily advertising uh, for that, that massive car manufacturer, which was standing in in all the different parts of the world. And indeed they had many other clients as well. One was um, household goods, um, another was uh, was high-tech services. So that was that was a horizontal integration program to develop all those businesses. And therefore it was response to that horizontal integration program that we wanted to incentivize everybody around the world. So it was, it was an international project driven expansion and that was reflected in the, in the employee share scheme. Uh, case study number three, a UK-based ceramics company. Um, this was across 20 countries, uh, each of those countries having um, employees. And it was uh, that the, the business had developed overseas to create um, uh, overseas marketing outlets for products which at the time were manufactured in the mother country. They, in that company, they've since uh, expanded manufacture into other countries as well. But at the time, the, the, the whole of the manufacturer was in the UK. So, so the business was expanded on that basis. And so we needed to go into those um, marketing outlets and establish uh, employee share scheme arrangements for them. Let's go on to case study number four, which is on the next slide. So uh, this is a UK corporate and personal gifts company. Wonderful company. I first valued this company in 1989 at a, at a million. I valued it earlier this year at half a billion. And um, what this company is seeking to do is to establish a lower opportunity cost uh, of labor for manufacturing overseas in, in uh, uh, primarily the Far East. So, so the, the, the driver to develop the company overseas is labor cost savings driven. And therefore we go into these, uh, the, these overseas countries uh, and establish employee share schemes for them. Interestingly, this company also uh, has marketing outlets in, 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 in these other countries, just like the previous example. And so again, we involve those people who are running those marketing outlets in the employee share scheme. Uh, next one, case number, number, number five is a, is a clothing company based in, based in London. Uh, the design and the marketing is, uh, of, of the clothing products is done in, um, in, in, in North London, uh, but the manufacturing facilities are in um, Eastern Europe and in the Far East. So, so the reason for expanding into those countries is manufacturing and production driven. And so we go into those countries and we introduce um, employee share schemes to bring everybody in line with the, uh, the corporate objective. And then this last one, which is a really interesting, interesting case. Uh, this, is, this is a company, um, a, a, a Birmingham based company involved in uh, the manufacture of, of jewelry. Uh, some of that jewelry is manufactured in the UK, some overseas. But the interesting thing about this company is that it bought a natural resources company um, in the middle of Africa in order to provide 
uh, raw materials for its products. And so essentially it was a supply chain and business related investment de de driven decision to expand into those countries. And so again, the employee share scheme followed suit and we established overseas share schemes in, in those countries. Now this next slide, um, a really, really powerful slide that the, the international rollout into the overseas countries. I just want to touch on a few major, major themes here. Uh, the type of employee share scheme. Well, uh, it depends really on, on on the design of 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 the scheme. It might be that we introduce the savings related um, share option schemes. We did for the ceramics company and indeed for that advertising company. It might be that we introduce. Um, a, a, a refined share option scheme, which doesn't require savings attached to it, as we did for that high tech company, and, and indeed that is a live company now that we're that we're currently rolling out. Case study number one, in case you want to go back to it. All, all these slides, of course, will be made available to you through the Financial Services um, Club website uh, once the webinar is over. So you, you can go back to these slides and, and you can study the notes, copious notes, which I've provided prepared for for your your benefit uh, the management of the exchange rate can be tricky particularly where you're working with same related arrangements the the option price or the purchase price is typically set in the currency of the mother country so it might well be that uh, and almost certainly will be that uh, once you uh, once you get to exercise point particularly if you're working with savings arrangements uh, you need to watch it very very carefully you might have to make up uh, uh, on, on the savings because the exchange rate has moved in the direction which causes a, a deficiency of funds from what you've saved during the term of the of the arrangement. Um, alternatively, it might be that the exchange rate has moved in the other direction, in which case there is a payout um, as well as, of course, being able to uh, use the money that you've saved to buy the shares. Um, introduction of, of phantom savings related share option schemes. Some countries um, uh, might pose problems with regard to the complexity of their securities laws. You, you might still be able to do a, 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 a scheme with real shares in those countries, but it might be far easier to work with a phantom type arrangement. Might be exchange controls which, which pose problems to the operation of a, a real shares uh, related employee share scheme. And so we work with a phantom type arrangement and that type of arrangement where you're working with the same related arrangement, the, the employees will be required to open a bank account and when it comes to maturity, let's say three years hence or five years hence, demonstrate through submission of their, their, their saving statements that they have saved every month. And then they would receive a payment, which is effectively a, a deferred bonus arrangement um, based upon the increase in value from the option price set at the outset of the arrangement to whatever the price is uh, in, 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 in real terms uh, when they come to exercise the option. I've said a word also here about the employee share trust, really, really powerful mechanism where existing shares are recycled using existing shares rather than new issue shares in order to avoid share dilution. Existing shares are recycled into a single employee share trust, typically based in, in, in Jersey or, or Guernsey and in, in the British Channel Islands to service all countries all around the world in the international worldwide group. So I'm often asked the question, uh, when, when you're actually working with the employee share trust, does there have to be a, an employee share trust for each scheme? If you've got more than one scheme, no, no, you'd work with the same employee share trust for multiple schemes. Another question, I'm not wanting to preempt your questions, do, do come up with all these questions once we get to, to, to half past, I'm really keen to hear them. But another question might be, 
Um, do we have to have an employee share trust for every country that we work with? No, you don't. You work with a single employee share trust. We typically base it in Jersey or, or Guernsey because that's where the administrative strength is. And that's where we, we're able to secure some further tax advantages, all of which are recognised by the British government. There's no, nothing sneaky or, or slimy about that. Well-recognised structures which operate um, in the British Channel Islands, also indeed in the Isle of Man. Um, I, have, I have worked, gave up many, many years uh, with a couple of schemes in the Isle of Man, but notably we, we, we work with the, with the British Channel Islands. When it's a private company, when it's a private company, that employee share trust will also be used as a market for the shares in the absence of a recognised stock exchange. Factors why um, governments might want to encourage employee share schemes of an international complexion. Well, the first is, of course, um, to raise the group's trade and turnover through export-led sales of UK manufactured goods into overseas countries. Yes, uh, that will also contribute to employment levels in the UK as more goods are required by the expanded market and therefore a contribution to the uh, the, the, the UK or, or the mother country, whichever that mother country might be, UK, US, France, wherever it is, uh, their balance of payment surplus. Secondly, to contribute to healthy relations with overseas countries. If you're actually introducing an employee share scheme from the UK into Romania, well, the Romanian government is going to be really keen to see that because it's creating jobs in Romania. Yes, employment creation in the in the overseas country, reducing equalities in that country, all of which, of course, trade rather than aid, is, is so highly compatible with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Let's just go back to that uh, slide, Ian, please. Um, uh, third point is to strengthen supply chain arrangements, yes, uh, thereby reducing the propensity for inflationary pressures uh, by contributing to sufficiency of supply to mother country control over the overseas production and, and supply, and also to reduce volatility in, in world markets, where again, you've got security of, of supply, certainty and stability, um, something that our new government in the UK is so much looking forward to, to introducing. Let's get to the next uh, page. Okay, export of the home country model. Uh, where we're working with UK and US uh, models, whether it be the UK tax advantage, tax approved schemes, or the UK qualifying plans, we'll typically try and replicate those overseas. But we've always got to be mindful that every country has its own idiosyncrasies. And so we need to make sure that, that, that we're not just doing a, a stick on onto those countries, that they, they've got to be compatible with, with, with communication sensitivities in those countries. Okay, uh, last, last point on this, uh, this slide is, is important. Uh, businesses have expanded into overseas countries with a spirit of vision and enthusiasm, I say. Yeah, well, they have. You know, they have a, a very powerful resolve to establish overseas and they go into those overseas countries very enthusiastic and make it work. <coughs> the employee share scheme exploitation should be in the same spirit. When we're introducing uh, schemes into overseas countries, we've got to address securities laws, financial services laws and regulations, exchange laws or exchange controls, we might say employment laws, data protection laws, scheme administration, and indeed communication. Communication is what makes it work. So I've, I've given uh, sort of four or five minutes left to just talk about communication. Let's go to the, to the next slide. So what we're seeking to do here is to um, establish a similar scheme as possible around the world for, for group cohesion and for 
uh, unity reasons. Although the content of the communication will be different, we need to sensitize the communication to respect the fact that we have different audiences with different predilections, different characteristics, different features. And so what I do is uh, I, I, I research the, the internals of the company. Uh, I mean, one of the great wonders of, of working with international share schemes over, over the years, as I've, I've visited something like 35 different countries in order to do this. These days, of course, it's more through email and, and Zoom. But in the early days, it was all graft, you know, traveling around the world, actually actually meeting companies, understanding the cultures. And indeed, what I learned in those days, I can still graft onto new schemes, which we introduced um, in, in the current day, but internally understanding the company, but then working with indices, which we can which we can externally superimpose upon those countries. So let's look at what those indices are. Next slide identifies what's the emotional distance between um, managers and, and, and employees. What sort of individualism or sense of individualism or collectivism exists in those countries? Is there a is there a is there a gender implication that tradition that there are traditional roles of men and women or has that traditional type of of um, segregation of duties broken down? What's the risk index of people in in that country and what what is their sense of timescale? So do we introduce three year plans or or, or five year plans? Okay, let's go to the next slide. Okay. Immigrant minorities, always be aware of immigrant minorities when you're actually working with, um, with, 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 with the communication rollout. They need to be treated very sensitively. Often uh, employees settle, immigrant employees settle better in, in work when you know, there might well be turmoil going on in the home. But language and cultural awareness is absolutely crucial. Let's go to the next slide. Um, next slide, Ian, thanks. Yep, linguistic implications. Uh, there might be words which are no-nos in a particular country. So, you know, in, in, in the US, they have a little bit of a bugbear about the word scheme. They seem to associate it with the mafia. But, you know, we're not talking about the mafia at all. We're talking about a genuine employee share scheme or plan arrangement. That's the plan they, they use, introduced with the highest levels of integrity. Share and trust, I find, have universal connotations. Um, you need to be sensitive to uh, uh, Japanese populations and Chinese populations and particularly try and work with their numbers. Um, eight, of course, is their number for success in, in, in China. Uh, and there are similar sorts of examples in, in Japan. Chinese uh, people, of course, are, are um, uh, emigrant populations, particularly into all parts of the Far East, but also beyond Japan. Well, they tend to stay in Japan. Uh, a homogeneous country, and that has its particular characteristics which you need to take into account. If you're working with agricultural communities, you know, I've worked in Africa with miners, um, or, or, or indeed in, with farmer communities in Ireland, um, storytelling is a great way to actually share the message. Let's go to the next slide. Thanks, Ian. Intelligent levels. Do be aware you've got many, many different levels of intelligence in, in, in the company. It might be good to mix intelligent levels. It might be good to separate them out. You've got to be really careful not to be condescending there. You know, we're, we're not talking about paternalism or, or condescension employee sharing because we're talking about empowerment, empowerment. And therefore, everything must be geared to, 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 to that principle. But, you know, people have different levels and types of intelligence. It might be somebody's intellectually intelligent. Somebody else might be emotionally intelligent. Other people might be, might be both. And there are other types of intelligence as well. So respect that, give them maximum opportunity to ask questions, whether it be through um, uh, a face-to-face -face meeting physically in, in a room, 
or indeed through a Zoom or, or a Microsoft Teams, or indeed some people more uh, are more inclined to want to share questions um, through email or indeed to ring you up. Give them every opportunity to ask these questions. Okay, financial services obligation to, to ensure that people do have full opportunity to understand the, the scheme arrangement, particularly if they're shelling out money like in the same related scheme. Next slide, please, Ian. This is about collectivism versus individualism. I could do a whole webinar on this, but it's about understanding the psyche of a country. Uh, do we need to emphasize individualism, you know, individual entrepreneur, go for it, employee, or do we need to emphasize the collectivism? That would typically be prevalent in the Latin countries. Let's go to the next slide. Gender factor, the masculine and feminine characteristics. You know, to, to what to what degree um, have 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 traditional uh, gender balances broken down or imbalances broken down? Um, how evolved and, and mature are people in respecting um, the different characteristics of you know? So so they don't sort of put down women, for example. Okay, next slide please. Time scale. I'll just give you one example. Uh, I introduced a scheme in Hong Kong many years back. This was at the time actually when um, uh, Hong Kong was preparing to, uh, uh, to to lose its colonial status and, and become the special administrative region of China. And five years to them, even three years, was a long time. They wanted to see a result from their share scheme within a year. Okay, final slide, which is a summary position. Win-win uh, for everybody. It's win-win uh, on the microeconomic objectives of the uh, of the, uh, the, 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 inter the international companies introducing the scheme, and of course for their beneficiary employees. It's macroeconomic objectives for the governments of the mother country in the way that are explained through my, my very brief economics advantage uh, slide. But similarly, uh, similarly macroeconomic objectives for the governments of the overseas countries, particularly where they see employment created in those in those countries and the reduction of inequalities and the development of prosperity. Remember, if you're developing prosperity together around the world, what a powerful unifier that is. Thank you very much for giving me the time, Financial Services Club and ESOP Centre. Uh, any questions, bring them all on. We're bang on half past, uh, Ian, so looking forward to receiving everybody's questions. Thank you. David, thank you very much indeed um, for uh, a, a, a whistle-stop tour of a, 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 a very big topic um, on international share schemes. Um, unsurprisingly, we have several questions, and I think we'll keep us busy for uh, the uh, uh, for the next few minutes. In fact, several people have asked a, a question. I, I think I know the answer to this question because I think you alluded to, to it a little bit in, in, in your in your talk, but you didn't cover um, the whole aspect of, of this. So I'll encapsulate the question. With the phrase, uh, do companies, when they want to put in international share schemes, some, sometimes pick and choose between the, the territories within um, their international operation uh, to be within the share scheme and leave, and leave some uh, uh, some of those territories out? And, and what are the implications of, uh, of, of making it international but not completely international um, uh, if, if, if a, a global organisation uh, chooses to do it that way? Well, it's a very good question, and I, I can answer it in a number of ways. Um, I guess the first thing to say is, you know, we're looking for corporate unity across all countries. So ideally, we want to include all countries. Um, some countries want to introduce it solely for senior management, and it might be that, that senior management don't exist in, in every country. But my, my, my argument is always to say, don't make senior management 
um, isolated in the incentive. So it's always good if you can introduce it for um, all employees. It really is. Um, it might be you've got difficulties with exchange controls or complex securities laws, in which case you might want to introduce a phantom arrangement, in which case that, 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 that's a, a mechanism for ensuring you don't leave companies out. Uh, and, and if you do leave companies out, uh, it can backfire. It can backfire if people feel as though they've been left out. And um, it's, always, it's always a good uh, first line of, of approach to think in terms of introducing it for every country for, for every employee. There's a second related um, question, which is to do with um, different tax regimes in different countries. So whether the income tax system uh, is different, whether the, the way that um, uh, uh, income is recognized under different uh, 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 jurisdictions. So perhaps what you're doing with in, 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 in the scheme or plan in one place is completely outside uh, the realms of, uh, of, of income tax, but is deemed to be income um, in, in, in another regime. And in fact, Douglas Andrews in particular um, has, has, has come in late, but not, uh, but not too late, um, encapsulating that uh, part of the question. Um, uh, and, and I think it'd be useful to, to hear you explore that aspect of um, you know, the, the different ways you have to handle different uh, territories. Okay. Um, well, I think the first port of call there is to think first and foremost in terms of the design of the scheme. You know, you're looking to establish a design which has um, a, a motivation, a very, very strong motivational input, and, and establishes the the, the share incentive um, as having an umbilical cord with the corporate objectives of the business. I think that's what I said on the very first slide. So that, that's the first port of call. Emphasise in the first instance design and then look at what are the legal implications, including the tax implications. Um, when I write about tax and ratio employee share schemes, I, I say this, that taxes, taxes often, you know, tax, a tax advantage is often the bait that attracts attention to the schemes. But fundamentally, you should be seeking to establish a, a design imperative, which is linked to the structure first set of comments I'd want to make, Ian. Secondly, I guess I'd, I'd want to say this, that tax will be different in different countries. Okay, now in the UK and the US, we have mirror type of, of, um, of, uh, of legislation. You know, we, we have same related share option scheme type arrangements, which, which have similar tax implications. Um, we, we have EMI and an EMI type equivalent in, EMI in the UK and an EMI type equivalent in the US. Um, but when you go into the other countries, uh, tax, the tax can be all over the place, okay? Um, it might be that tax is deferred. It might be that tax is, is obliterated altogether. Uh, it might be that there are some awkward instances of taxes. And by that, I mean, for example, that tax is triggered when you grant an option. Now, we had that problem um, so, so some years ago when we introduced the scheme into, into Switzerland, but we're able to structure the scheme arrangement in such a way that uh, we could avoid tax legitimately. Everything we do, of course, is legal, uh, legally watertight. We, we were able to restructure that scheme in, in Switzerland to avoid tax at the outset. And, and that must be, a, that must be a, 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 a priority, to avoid tax when somebody enters into the scheme, okay? So that, that, that's a, a sort of flavor of, of answers to that question. We, we could talk a lot about that, but I know there are more questions to come. So anybody's got any follow-ups, let me know and I can always um, answer by email.
Dave, Dave, thank, thank you very, thank you very much for that. And there's there's one there's one other limb to this. So does it does it work better in certain territories? And and, and you know, can, can can you pick and choose? Which is, uh, and again, I'm, I'm encapsulating more than one question into uh, into a way that I'm going to try to articulate this question. Are there certain countries or territories where, in your experience, um, this type of international share scheme rolls out well? And uh, and are there some territories or, um, or or regions where, in your experience, uh, with all the will in the world, it doesn't seem to, to, to take so well? Okay, well, the UK and the US, they, 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 certainly senior management and, and to some degree all employees expect to see some sort of share incentive and so consequently you, you, get, uh, you get a very good response. Um, uh, the five eyes as, as, an as we call them in international relations, UK, what, what is that, UK, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, I think it is, isn't it, that the, the five eye countries, generally speaking, get a very, very good response. Um, uh, where, where there are immigrant uh, uh, populations uh, that, that originate from the old imperialist instincts, I suppose, going back through their generations, tend to get a very good response, which tend to be those five countries again. Um, Germany, you'd think, you know, given, given the entrepreneurial instinct in Germany and the drive with the work ethic to, to, to achieve and, and indeed the actual achievement, you get a very high response. Um, my experience is that, that within the European countries, Germany is, is typically a country where we, we struggle to get a great response. Um, I think that's probably because a lot of the big German companies are owned by families and so um, there's not such a profile given to employee share scheme type arrangements. Having said that, on occasions we have achieved high results in, in Germany. Uh, going down into the Latin countries, now, this is an example of where it depends how you present it. And this is the individualist against collectivist approach. What I find in the Latin countries, I'm talking here about um, Spain, uh, Portugal, Italy. If you sort of emphasize the community type arrangements of the employee share scheme, you tend to get a very, very good response. Uh, France, I always get a good response. Um, France has a tradition of, of employee share ownership. Um, it, has, it has a tradition of individual you know, respect for individual rights. Um, and, and they do have a very, historically, they've always had a very, very powerful savings type arrangement. Uh, and there's also a, a qualifying type plan, uh, which which has on occasions, depending upon the governments in charge, had good profile within the um, economic life of, of the nation. Um, African countries, um, I've introduced schemes in South Africa uh, uh, with, with miners or, or, or whatever, uh, tend to get, relatively low responses. High-tech companies, well, here into uh, Wonderworld. You, you tend to find that with high-tech companies, uh, people involved in, in any form of, uh, of, of tech, that there is an awareness and, and, and a, a wanton desire to be involved in the share scheme arrangement. So, so that's really tech regardless of country. I know your question was about country, but I wanted to say something there about you know type, type of business. And where you work with high-tech companies, very, very powerful response always. That, 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 that's very interesting. Um, one last uh, question uh, bef before we wrap up. I'm going to attribute this one to uh, to Susan Jones. She's, she actually uh, was at least a part contributor to, to, to several of the, of the questions, but this uh, but this question um, is, is hers alone. Nobody else asks this 
particular thing. David, I can see you're already getting nervous uh, for this one. Uh, to, to, to what extent is the volatile dollar sterling exchange rate an impediment to the implementation of, of, of schemes like this? It's sort of a topical question, and I, and I would sort of broaden it out to, to a, wider, a, a wider question, because there's a presumption in there, of course, that we're in you know, you know, our current world where there is that huge volatility and that the, 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 the dollar and sterling is going to be an important uh, part okay. of, the, of the internationalization of what we're doing. But it would apply actually to uh, to whatever currency you were using as the base and whatever currency uh, uh, was, was, was predominant in the, in the territory into which this thing is going uh, in, in, a, in an environment where the exchange rates are, are, are very volatile. Okay, okay. Well, well, it's a great question. Uh, multifaceted answer as well. I mean, I mean, the first point is the point I made in the presentation, really, that uh, certainly if you're working with savings-related arrangements and um, there is volatility between uh, date of grant and date of exercise, there will either be a substantial uh, or a compatibly substantial uh, deficiency in funds or there'll be an excess of funds. If it's an excess of funds, you pay the funds back and as well as being able to buy the shares. Um, where you're working with um, uh, a, a volatility in, in the exchange rates, um, not always, but it can be accompanied by volatility in, in the stock markets. Uh, if you've got volatility in the stock markets, which is probably a separate point, but I'll mention it anyway, a volatility in, in, in the share price um, uh, will, will, will produce a higher tax value, well, a higher value for, for, for tax purposes uh, of the option um, in relation to the share-based payment accounting. But volatility in exchange rates, um, that's very interesting, and particularly in relation to uh, UK and U US, where, of course, there is very, very um, substantial trade. Uh, the, the main exposure really is on savings re re related schemes. Um, and you've got to recognize also that, that um, when it comes to exchange rates, um, that, that they can move very, very slowly. So um, as, as well as potentially at times being high volatility, uh, you know, when we've gone down from what, what 150 since the beginning of the year to 112, I think it was today when I last looked uh, between dollar and, and, and sterling. Um, you can also have times when uh, uh, um, ex exchange rates move very slowly. So you, you, you can have the opposite, the opposite effect. Um, if they're moving slowly, then clearly you've got much more stability on, on your savings-related schemes. Um, but, you know, the, 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 uh, the exchange rate, when it comes to the governmental perspective, is, is very, very important. And um, what sort of money can be, be, be achieved in terms of inflows into a company. And so it can, it can affect the, the, the way in which a government might actually perceive the, the encouragement of international employee share schemes. So that's, a again, a flavour set of answers to the question, but great question. David, wonderful. Thank, thank you so much for your very thoughtful talk and also for uh, fielding those um, well thought through and challenging questions um, so well. Um, it's uh, only for me now to uh, uh, to wrap up today just to remind everybody that uh, David very kindly provides a full set of uh, slides and materials that are already available for download on uh, the uh, ESOP Centre FS Club uh, website if people want to go and uh, have a look at them um, and I would like just to say a few thank yous before uh, we close down. First of all thanks again uh, to the members and sponsors of the FS Club, um, whose um, uh, generous sponsorship and forbearance allows us to do all manner of interesting things, um, in, including the uh, webinar that you've uh, enjoyed today. 
um, also to the members of the ESOC Centre, um, uh, who likewise um, are um, uh, our contributors and, 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 and through whom uh, these activities are able to happen. Um, I would like to just point you to some resources that are available uh, to you um, uh, through the ESOP Centre. There's the website and uh, the regular news pad. Um, and on FS Club, uh, bulletins not only on ESOP Centre related topics, but on a myriad of topics. I do uh, commend um, the uh, FS Club website and especially the Bulletin Centre to people um, who uh, are interested in the sorts of topics that we cover, which are many and varied. Um, there are some forthcoming events, um, a little lighter than usual over the next week or two, but if you're interested in smarter ledgers, um, you might enjoy tomorrow's uh, webinar and the following Wednesday, how to save the world with rigorous carbon accounting uh, uh, might be for you. Um, and then several um, uh, more webinars the following week. Um, uh, is your next lawsuit coming from a river or a forest? Um, uh, the, the, the question of um, artificial intelligence and state of play in the European Union, um, and also um, what should be a fascinating webinar on stable coins. Um, is this crypto's killer app or will it end up killing crypto? My goodness, it's like an Agatha Christie um, here. Um, so uh, all that then remains for me to do is to uh, say thank you to you, the audience, for your uh, time and interest in this topic. And finally, of course, thank you to David for, um, uh, for such an interesting talk um, and such interesting answers to the questions. Um, we can't give you a round of applause in, in webinar world in the way that we would in, in the real world. Um, and I had to have a think about what musical instrument should I use, because I do use little musical wow. instruments to emulate the sound of, uh, of everybody giving a round of applause. And the, 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 the instrument that popped into my head from an international um, uh, uh, scheme was, a, was an instrument that I think is manifestly international and, and there's a variation on it in just about every part of the world, which was the tambourine. And without uh, any prompting at all, when I said to Janie that David's going to be talking about international share schemes, what do you think I should use as my musical instrument? She said, use the tambourine. So we were, we were like-minded on that, which is a, a relief for me. And this is a little thank you for you. Thank you very much, David. And once again, thanks to the audience. We look forward to seeing you um, all again uh, very soon. Bye, everybody.